Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Hello and welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 22. Today I'm joined by John Mulligan of Wicked Tree Gear and Arrow Wild Company. We're talking deer hunting, of course, trimming shooting lanes, and cop stories from John's former life, and much, much more. So stay tuned. All right, folks, welcome to another episode of the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast, and I'm your host, Clint Campbell. Today, I'm joined by a good buddy of ours uh, named John Mulligan. John is uh, of the from the Wicked Tree uh, Gear Company, and he also has a side project. I don't know if I would necessarily refer to it as a side project at the moment, but a company or a project called Arrow Wild Company that is online. I met John at uh, the Harrisburg Outdoor Show, and uh, we struck up a great conversation. I'd really been looking forward to having him on on the show. He's got some fantastic stories, not just related to deer hunting, uh, but John has an interesting past and kind of took an interesting route to get into the outdoor industry. And we'll kind of dive into to all those details. Um, he, he has a lot of uh, knowledge when it comes to trimming trees and, and kind of cutting in shooting lanes and, and, and so forth. And uh, kind of speaks well to this time of year as it's a great time of year to kind of get out and start kind of taking care of some of those spring cleanup duties, as I like to call them. And unfortunately, or fortunately, I guess the weather has really kind of shifted, which I'm absolutely loving at the moment. I'm able to get out and really kind of shoot my bow a lot more and kind of start dialing in for the uh, for the fast approaching fall. But I will uh, admit that I am well, well behind in my spring cleanup duties. I've got I've got a lot of food plots to put in and not a lot of time and uh, a lot of turkey hunting to do too here that's fast coming up. I was just going over my schedule for April and May with my wife yesterday and uh, and realized that I have pretty much every weekend chocked full of some type of outdoor obligation. I'm not going to complain about it. It just means that there's going to be uh, a lot of work to do here in the next two months uh, to kind of get all my turkey hunting in and, and get all my, my spring slash summer food plots uh, sprayed, anything that's a uh, a perennial and uh, kind of start making my plans for my fall plots because uh, as I mentioned, I believe in the past or at least I've wrote about it on the, on the blog, my dad picked up a picked up a recent property. Um, he lives in North Carolina and been itching to kind of get a place back up here in Pennsylvania where he could do some hunting. And he picked up a piece, and so I'm kind of helping him, you know, kind of think about what we might want to put in for food plots and what we want to do, um, which is great. Uh, just adds to the uh, adds to the growing list of of spring chores that I have. But uh, we'll manage to get through it. We always do, and uh, looking forward, of course, to the uh, how those things will pan out when it comes. Uh, 
comes this fall and uh and deer season so we'll put the work in now and uh hopefully it'll pay dividends in the later but i'm not going to belabor too long here i want to make sure we jump into the conversation with john but just note that today we are going to be announcing the winner of the second exodus trail camera giveaway uh of course announce that at some point here during the uh during the podcast and uh once we announce that name we'll make sure to get the uh, information of the folk uh, of the of the gal or guy who won the uh, exodus trail camera and get that shipped out to them as soon as possible but before we dial john in let's take a quick break to hear a word from our partners at whitetail institute with the whitetail institute food plot tip of the week today we'll hear a few thoughts and tips for food plot placement and design well first of all you look at how much property you have and uh, if you don't have a lot of property just plant what you have because anything you can to get the deer coming to your property is going to be a good thing uh, if you've got the, the room and the, the, the different uh, terrain features and woods in different places, you can put some more design into it. Uh, that will. Your point is to try to make the food plot as attractive to deer during daylight hours as you can. Uh, and just, I know it sounds trite, but think like a deer. You know, what would you feel more comfortable walking out in? Uh, as you get something that's big and fat and wide and open, it's probably not going to be uh, able to give them a feeling of safety as much as one that's, say, long and narrow. Uh, you also want to, if you can, again, uh, try to place it uh, right up against cover or in cover so that a deer using the plot can feel like it has the option just to uh, to jump jump uh, back, uh, back in the cover and uh, be out of uh, visibility real quickly. Uh, that's another thing that does well. Another thing that will help is to maximize how much what we call linear edge, which is basically anywhere that the food plot itself, the planting, butts up to cover that is real or perceived cover. And by real, I mean something like a big thicket. Uh, perceived would be something, a few rows of standing corn, uh, something that just breaks up the deer's outline enough uh, to where it feels like it can see uh, danger approaching before the danger sees it. Also, you need to take into account uh, how you're going to get in and out of the stand when you're hunting uh, near or on the food plot. You want to have approaches that will get you to your stand and also place the stand, a couple of stands in different uh, places based on uh, commonly prevailing wind direction. You want to make your primary approach, if you can, uh, by the most commonly prevailing direction, of course, which is down here in Alabama is usually out of the north northwest. Uh, but if you can have another way in that will take it, uh, let you take advantage of the plot uh, and hunt it uh, during a different wind direction. And that, folks, is the Whitetail Institute food plot tip of the week. It is certainly food plot season, so be sure to head over to whitetailinstitute.com to check out all their products. And if you're considering fall plots, you may want to look at their new Imperial Whitetail Beets and Greens. This is a new product release that contains a blend of kale, turnips, radishes, and sugar beets. This type of forage is ideal for early fall through late winter to help the deer through those hard winter months. And now, without further ado, let's go ahead and get John John Mulligan slash Johnny Utah on the line. All right, welcome back to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 22. Today on the show, I am joined by a buddy of mine by the name of Johnny Utah. This is not, by the way, of Patrick Swayze, Keanu Reeves, Point Break, Johnny Utah. This is the whitetail Johnny Utah. Some of you may know him as John Mulligan uh, of Wicked Tree uh, Gear, uh, Arrow Wild Company. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, I believe he did some work with the uh, White Knuckle Production folks at one point in his uh, in his whitetail uh, career as well. But uh, John, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. And uh, how you doing, man? Hey, well, first, thanks for having me and doing good, man. How's it going? 
It's going okay. I know we were just uh, chatting a little bit before we started recording the, uh, the, 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 the work endeavors. You know, I spent some time away from, uh, from my, my normal day job to visit some clients. And it's like, every time I come back, it's, uh, no one tends to do the work that, uh, that I typically have to do <laughs> while I'm in the office. Yeah. So I come back to a pile. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, I told somebody the other day, I'm like, you know, you put in a vacation request and you come back and it's really not a vacation because all that work you still have to catch up on and plus your new work that gets dumped on your plate. So yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, I know, man. Every time I kind of schedule a hunt or to go somewhere, you know, it's like I'm taking off for a week or whatever. It's I'm always sitting there wondering if all the work I have to put in <laughs> the week before I go on vacation is worth the week that I'm going to spend on vacation or not. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. uh, it's, uh-huh. you got you got to pay to play, I guess, as the uh, as the old saying goes. But uh, oh yeah. Yeah, so I know you and I got to run into each other at the uh, at the Harrisburg show for a little while, and I know that was the first time we had formally met in in person. Uh, had a blast yeah. hanging out and, and chatting with you, and I know we got to know each other a little bit, and I got to learn a bit about your uh, your background. But for those out there listening uh-huh. that maybe aren't as familiar with you know who you are, what you do, and uh, where you're from, and so forth, if you could just give us a little background on uh, where you're from and what you're doing in the whitetail world these days. So uh, for me, I started out uh, hunting out of Kentucky, and that's kind of where I cut my teeth on. And and like a lot of guys, I started out rifle hunting, and that's um, that's what my buddies were doing at the time. And so we started out doing a little bit of rifle hunting, and then I eventually got into bow hunting, kind of seeking more of a challenge. Um, my background is is kind of it's kind of strange. I had a degree in horticulture, um, did that for a while, had some landscape companies. And then I became a police officer. One of my next door neighbors, he was a cop, and he just had more interesting stories than I did, you know? <laughs> and so I kept talking to him one day, and I said, man, I said, your stories are just kind of cool. And he's like, well, why don't you go be a cop? And I said, ah, oh, you know, I don't know. Like, isn't that one of those professions, like your, your dad had to be a cop or something? And he's like, no, no, it's not like that, you know? So I did it, and... uh I moved away from Lexington, Kentucky, up to Northern Kentucky, and that's where I was a police officer at, and started, um, actually, I I met uh, my old business partner uh, from Wicked, I actually met him at a, a deer and turkey show, uh, at the Ohio show, and I really liked the, at the time, it was a hand saw, I ended up bought a, bought a hand saw, and I really liked it. We got to talking a little bit, and, and I ended up becoming a dealer, actually, for Wicked Tree Gear for a little while, and was just selling them uh, to landscape companies. And it was better than anything that I was using in the landscape world at the time and and stuff. And then he actually approached me about doing some white-knuckle filming and things, and um, my first thought was, I don't really want to, you know, when I'm hunting, I, I just kind of want to hunt. I don't know if I want to take that on with filming and things like that, but... I got into it and I kind of liked sharing stories and I like seeing other people's, um, I guess, success and failures. You know what I mean? And right. these are everyday struggles that we all deal with and things like that. And, and I think if you put it out there in a cool way, uh, it's kind of neat, you know, and, and I kind of got to, to doing that. Fast forward, uh, I ended up becoming uh, one of the owners of Wicked Tree Gear and we recently sold the company about a little over a year ago. Um, but I'm still vice president of the company, still very much involved in the company. And then I recently started an uh, air wild company, uh, web show on Facebook and put together a pretty cool, cool group of guys that, uh, are like-minded guys that are just 
you know, we don't want anything handed to us. It's kind of do it yourself for guys, guys that want to get out there. And it's kind of um, sharing our stories almost like if we were sitting around deer camp. Right. And um, just trying to share that kind of stuff. So that's, that's how I kind of got, got all wrapped up into all this stuff. Nice. So, I mean, prior to getting with the, the white knuckle folks, were you doing any filming prior to that? Or was it just more of like a, like, hey, I should Zero. try this out? Yeah. No, yeah, I wasn't doing any of it at all. Um, and somebody said, hey, would you would you ever want to film a hunt, um, film one of your hunts? And I thought, man, sometimes it seems like it's hard enough just doing it without a camera. I don't know <laughs> if I'm up, you know, I'm up for that kind of a challenge. I feel too much pressure. And it was, it was, a, it was a little bit of pressure. Like with anything, if you do it enough, uh, you find ways to, to work around it. And I've always said I'm a hunter first and a filmer second. Right. Um, I know guys that are so dedicated to the craft that they're like, I won't, I won't shoot that deer unless I know that it's on camera. Right. Well, I didn't get into the hunting world as a camera operator, you know? So <laughs> for me, it's always, and I'm a hunter first. And if I captured on film, great. Um, but I'm there for the hunt, you know, first and foremost. Right. Yeah. I started, I started filming or I, hold on. Let me back up for a second. I started trying to film. Let me put it that way. Um, <laughs> probably two seasons ago and I've not been successful getting anything on, on a camera yet. It seems like every time I've had a shot opportunity, it's just happened so quickly that I didn't even have a chance to turn my camera on. Um, that was how the deal sure. was this year that I took, you know, I didn't even have an opportunity to, if I would have turned my camera on, I would have absolutely missed the shot. And I'm the same way, you know, kind of what you were saying, which is, you know, I kind of took the approach this year when I took, when I take my cameras out, I kind of tell myself, you know, when I'm going out, I'm either going to be there to try to film something or I'm going to be there to try to try to shoot something. Um, and I make that sure. kind of determination before I even get to my stand. That way there's no second guessing when I'm in the tree stand and end up taking a bad shot or rushing a shot or whatever the case <laughs> is. So, well, um, and you, I take it you were self filming too, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was self filming. You know, I took, I usually take just a small, you know, handheld, hand, handheld, camera and then one action camera um is usually what i'll take uh-huh. and then this year toward the end of the season i did take a dslr out for a couple trips to the woods um didn't get anything within okay. bow range but i did start taking a dslr with me which i love the quality and it's just if anyone out there is just not does <laughs> doesn't feel like they're being challenged enough bow hunting take a dslr camera to <laughs> stand with you on manual focus <laughs> and uh, yeah, exactly yeah and see how that see and how i that don't know yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, you know, and that's the thing this, uh, this past year uh, in Iowa, that was the first year that I had actually captured, uh, a bull hunt of mine self-filming. Um, and I, I mean, I'll be honest, I don't like it. Right. I mean, there is that cool factor that you're out there on your own and, and you have to do it all on your own. Um, but if you're really wanting to tell a story and you're really wanting to capture that moment, it's really, really tough to do. And the guys that are dedicated self-filmers, um, you know, hats off to those guys because they, there's some guys that are doing it very, very well. And I don't think I ever will be able to do it like that. Right. I mean, it's one of those things where if you, you almost have to kind of decide what, what type of story you're trying to tell, right? Is it more just like the quick, like five minutes, sure. you know, or three minute, like A to B, this is the situation. This is the moment in the stand. This is the shot opportunity. This is the shot. And then the, and then the, the, the recovery, 
you know, which right. to me, it's like, I kind of enjoyed that kind of approach. Then there's the other side of the uh-huh. self filmer where it's like, you're really trying to tell more of a, a, I don't want to say an elaborate story, but just a more in depth story, which then kind of requires you to start picking up B roll and stuff like that, which that was the part that I just don't think I had the patience for. I think whenever I first started, I was trying to do too much. Sure. Sure. Oh, it's, you know, and that, and I think everybody that kind of gets into it, um, I mean, let's face it, we see what somebody else has done or we saw what was done on television and, and you say, all right, if I'm going to start filming, then I want to recreate, and I want to do something as, as good as, as what I saw. And in reality, there's a lot of those film crews that they may have two guys up in the tree, or there may be a guy on the ground and a guy on the tree, you know, in the tree filming over the shoulder. And, um, and, and those guys are in their practice, they're in their craft and they've perfected it and they, they have all the bugs worked out. I know that first year it was, I don't know exactly how long this battery is going to last on this camera. I don't know <laughs> no, what the right. audio settings are going to pick up, what they're not, what it's not going to pick up. And, and sometimes you're looking on that little viewfinder. Is it, is it in focus or is it not? And then you don't find out till you get it home and you're like, well, that was a wasted day of filming because everything was out of focus. And right. Or you get that nasty I've transitioned over to DSLRs. What's that? I said, or you get that nasty sun glare off your, off your little viewfinder and everything looks black. And so you're oh, just kind of yeah. winging it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, and, and the cool thing, I guess, with being involved with Wicked and, and getting into the filming is I've got to meet so many awesome, awesome people that are just super genuine people that love the sport and they love putting out quality videos and production work that I've been able to, you know, tap into some of their resources as far as they've learned over the years. Mm-hmm. And I've had so many people that, you know, help me along the way, like, hey, you want to use this camera setting and you want to use this camera setting if you're doing pictures and, you know, you want to use a flash on outdoor photography sometimes and you just kind of learn that stuff and some of it's trial and error, but um, I, I, lo- I love having buddies that can teach me something. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. It's, uh, that's, uh, you always have to have those uh, those good friends that have sharper skills in certain areas than, than, than yourself. And I will say, man, like, you know the the photos that you that you post uh you have quite a quite an eye at least in my opinion i always enjoy whenever you're posting photos seeing what you're coming up with next because it's always got a, a nice aesthetic if you will oh thank you thank you it's um you know one of my really good friends uh jeremy myers he takes really really good photos super super clean sharp photos there's another friend of mine kyle green um i've picked his brain buddy kyle reindeers and a lot of these guys um they kind of gave me some pointers in the beginning and then they said, look, eventually you'll kind of develop your own style. And, uh, it's almost like you're watermarking your photos without putting a watermark on it. You know, you'll edit a certain way or there'll be a certain style theme of photos that you personally like to take and it'll become very noticeable. Um, so I took information that they said and, you know, you, you try to use some of their settings and some suggested settings and things like that. And you try to edit in Lightroom a certain way. Um, and then now fast forward and, you know, and I've had opportunities to hang out with guys like Jordan Gill and Matt McCormick and, and Sam Soho, um, Matt Zinger and those guys. And you're just, there's so many guys out there. They're doing just amazing, amazing work yeah. that I don't think I'll ever obtain it. That's kind of the words like a, like golf. They right. say golf's a game you can never master. I think photography is a game that you'll never master because there's just all these so many talented people out there that you're kind of chasing and trying to, you know, do what they can do. 
Right. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, unfortunately for me, I don't know that the uh, the camera gene, if you will, runs runs deep in in uh, in me necessarily. My wife, anytime we go on vacation, I'm not allowed to have the camera. I take the world, I, po- I take possibly the world's worst pictures. Um, so, oh, no. Yeah. So, uh, I, you know, I have the DSLR now, so I'm trying. I did take some family photos, which actually turned out really, really well, um, which she was, ha- she was happy with. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't know. I like it. It's fun. So I'll keep trying. But you did mention this year was the first year that you took, uh, had one of your films on, uh, or one of your hunts on, captured on film, A Harvest, right? Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. So how yeah, was and it? It wasn't by... Well, and I'll tell you, it wasn't one of those situations where I, I started the season and I said, you know what, I'm going to challenge myself even more. Because it, let's face it, bow hunting is challenging enough as it is. Right. I didn't set out and say, I'm going to challenge myself to self-film. It was by, it was just by nature. I moved away from Kentucky to Iowa and I left my buddy Mike Riddle. Mike Riddle is um, my hunting buddy back in Kentucky and became my you know, my camera guy for the last three years. And when I moved away uh, with his work schedule, he wasn't able to come up. So I thought, you know what, I'm just going to have to start self-filming a little bit more. And it just so happened that uh, the day that I ended up shooting my buck in Iowa, uh, this is my first, uh, my first bow buck for Iowa. Um, you know, I was there in a tree by myself and that's just the way it worked out. Nice man. That's awesome. So that was your, so how did that compare to, uh, the deer you've taken, uh, you know, in your, where you uh, previously lived in Kentucky. Uh, this the buck that I shot in, uh, in Iowa this year uh, is not my biggest buck, um, but there's there's a sense of accomplishment by by being able to take that deer. I've been trying to get to Iowa for several years, and you know, like a lot of guys in the whitetail world, I mean, everybody has their home states, and and your home state's always going to be special to you. Mm-hmm. And for me, Iowa, Kansas, those were two states that offered a an age class of deer that I wanted to chase. It's not that I was bored of hunting deer in Kentucky. And I know that there's old deer in Kentucky. They're, they're definitely, but in the properties and the locations that I had, there's a lot. I mean, your, your average deer was your three-year-old buck. Right. And I wanted to come to a place where there was basically more deer than humans in a sense, you know, right. and I, Southeast Iowa offered that I had an opportunity to move, uh, to move out here. And it gave me that opportunity to, to chase, um, that, that age class of deer that I wanted. And so even though my Iowa deer wasn't my biggest, uh, it's probably my greatest accomplishment because of what that deer represented that I got to put a resident Iowa archery tag on that buck. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, dude, that's all. That's awesome. So, I was actually on the Iowa uh, uh, outdoor, uh, I think it's the DNR website um, yesterday, looking at you know getting my next preference point. So I would love to be able yeah, to wrap a, a resident tag around an antler one day. <laughs> for sure, for sure. It's uh, you know, and when I moved here, I I ended up losing three preference points. I wish they'd allow you to donate those to somebody, but right. uh, one of my buddies, I made the comment. I said, "Oh man," I said, "I'm." I'm losing three non-resident preference points. And he's like, yeah, but now you're a resident and you can, you know, you can hunt, you can get three bow bucks if you, you know, if you want. But, um, so I guess there's bigger problems, but right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it was just so cool. Uh, it, it was funny because I mean, that deer was a giant to me. And I think the more and more I hunt, um, 
the size of the deer doesn't matter as much to me, you know, antler-wise. The, the age class or the body of the deer or what challenge was involved kind of means more. And uh, I knew that it was it was really cool when I when I was able to take that deer and, of course, capture it on film and I was by myself and everything. And it was in a spot that I, I was able to pick out on a map and I, I did a running gun set there a couple of weeks prior. But until I put that resident tag on it, it was like that that was when that sense of accomplishment kind of sunk in like wow i i made it this right. is what i set out to do um you know leaving the law enforcement career behind and and making this big leap of faith to come out to iowa and it's like wow i i, I accomplished what i set out to do that's awesome man i mean did you were you no was this a buck you had any history with did you have him on game camera were you kind of following him or did no. you just know there were some good deer in that area and you were kind of setting up on good deer yeah, yeah, that's, uh, I mean, there was actually a couple of uh, hit list bucks that were in that area uh, that I was really targeting. And this deer came in and it just, it struck me. You know, I looked at him, he was a solid four-year-old deer and he actually walked away and I, talking about the whole self-filming thing and capturing things on hunts, I kind of fell into a trap where I was so busy filming this deer and zooming in and kind of following as he moved through the woods and he was interacting with, with a smaller buck. And I was just enjoying the moment that when I panned back out, I'm like, wow, he's seven yards away now. I'm like, he was right there at 20 yards. I could have, I could have, you know, moved the camera to the side and I could have reached for my bow and had a shot at him. And I kind of told myself, I thought, well, there's another missed opportunity at a, you know, at a cool deer. And I said, if he comes back, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to take that deer. And, about 20 minutes later, it was starting to get into that moment where it's like, well, I got about five minutes left and I see antlers pop back, you know, into, into range. And I'm kind of like talking and kind of coaching the deer along. I'm like, buddy, but hurry up or it's going to get too dark on me, you know, <laughs> but he, he eventually came in and, and gave me a broadside quarter away shot. Um, and, uh, I was, you know, fortunately I was able to hit him good and, and I was using my, my Luminox. Uh, and I knew that I hit him good and I could see where my impact was, um, followed him a little bit. And while I was actually doing my kind of a, in a post post shot interview, uh, I, you can actually hear him crash in the woods. So, uh, that was kind of cool. And, um, you kind of get all the cool feels, you know, kind of hits you. It all becomes, you know, it's all surreal. It's like, it just happened. Right. It actually just happened. Yeah. That's one of my favorite sounds in the woods. It's, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, well, uh-huh. this way. it's one of my favorite sounds after I let an arrow go. The other sound is like, what is falling from up above me? That makes me a little bit nervous. You know, or did I climb the wrong tree in the dark? <laughs> I climbed the dead one next to the one I was supposed to climb, you know, which is always a, not a good feeling. Um, yeah. Or it's a, it's a ring tree that you didn't know about. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. That could be bad. Yeah. So, so you, the, the land that you're hunting out there, you know, you of course moved, are you hunting, you know, or do you, do you own the land that you're hunting? Are you, are you knocking on doors to get access? You know, what, what's, what's the situation with where you're hunting? I own a, I own a little bit of personal ground. Um, I was able to put a few food plots on this year and, uh, I also picked up uh, permission to hunt some ground next to uh, a piece of public. And the beauty of that was I could hunt that private piece, but it also gave me awesome access into the public on the backside that no one else has access to. At least if they want access to that, 
you know, they got to put on the hiking boots and, and they might have a mile walk in or something, you know, and a lot of guys, you know, on average aren't willing to do that, mm -hmm. uh, especially walking in with climbers or something like that. So, um, that was actually, I, I actually shot that buck on public nice. uh, this year. Nice. And so that's also, that was a, for another first. I'd never taken a buck on public ground before. I'd always hunted. The public ground in Kentucky is not really that great. Right. Um, public ground in Iowa is, is I would say, is overlooked. I think really? the, the norm is, oh, well, it's like all the other states. You know, I bet public ground's got a ton of hunters on it, and it's overpressured and things like that. In Iowa, some of the chunks of ground are two, three, four, five thousand acres. And I ran 30 something trail cameras in public this year and never got a picture of a, of another human. And I ran cameras for six months. Wow. That's awesome. So that, it's, yes, it worked out. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Cause I was literally just having this internal conversation with myself and actually with, a another buddy of mine who actually lives in Iowa because I've been buying, you know, I bought a preference point last year because last year was the first year that I was really like, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go ahead and start buying my points for Iowa because I want I want to go. Um, this year, of course, I'm going sure. to, to Montana. And it was one of those things where I was like, I'll start buying preference points in the year that I draw for Iowa. I won't go to Montana to elk hunt that year. And I'll just kind of have my, you know, annual adventure hunt in that year. It'll just happen to be Iowa. There you go. And uh, yeah. But I was starting to think to myself, I was like, you know, I started looking at the zones and, and the draw statistics for, you know, your first year, your 1.2 point, you know, it's et cetera, et cetera, for all the mm -hmm. different zones. And I started thinking to myself, you know, should I hold out and try to draw, you know, once every four years and come be able to hunt, you know, zone six or zone four, which I'm imagining zone six is probably really hard to even get access because I'm assuming it's probably pretty commercialized down there, or at least most of the grounds leased up and probably hard to get access if you're not from there or have a family member with a farm. Um, you know, or zone four, you know, which would probably take me four years to draw. Or do I look at some, maybe some of the overlooked zones? I forget which zone it is, but it's up there near the border of Wisconsin up there along the river. I can't remember which zone, what yeah. number it is. I was like, or do I look like an, at an area like that, that I can probably draw every other year and get to hunt Iowa every year? Like, so I'm curious, is, do you think there's a, a huge difference between the deer that are in that zone versus the deer that are in the, the Southern zones? At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Well, I mean, they had that big 222 that was that was not killed around me. Right. Um, so, you know, there, there's big bucks everywhere. Mm -hmm. We all know that. Um, you know, I think a lot of times you got to look at the zone and say, well, why is that such a hot zone? Is it truly because there's giant deer there? Or is it because that's where a lot of celebrity hunters live? Right, yeah. So if they're living there, that must be where all the big bucks are. Um, you know, I'm, I'm right on the Lee County, Van Buren County line, mm -hmm. and Van, both counties always produce big bucks. But if you go and at the end of the year and you look at the top bucks, it's all over the state, I'm everywhere. I mean, sure, they might not kill one in downtown Des Moines or downtown Cedar Rapids, <laughs> but other than that, I mean, there's big bucks all over the state. And so... 
Yeah, I mean, there's certain zones that are tougher to draw. Um, you know, zone six, there's a ton of public, a right. ton of public. And I have buddies that, you know, they're like, I don't know if I want to put in for a license yet because I don't have anywhere to go. And I'm like, call me. I'll drop, I'll, I'll show you my map with my waypoints of like, you know, hot spots that I've seen, you know, over this past season. Right. Um, they're, they're everywhere. I mean, it's in any of the zones, you can kill a big deer. Um, what I would do if you don't have access to a piece of private ground, start looking at the, where there's a large chunk of public is. I mean, the piece of public, um, I kept seeing the same truck. These guys from Michigan were, were in town this year hunting for one week. And after like the third day of seeing their truck, when I drove down the road, they were actually walking out of the timber. So I just pull up next to them. I'm like, Hey, you know, how's it going guys? You know, what are you seeing out there? Cause I'm only hunting a mile away and, and I'm curious what, what they're seeing versus what I'm seeing. And, and they said, well, my one buddy, he just shot a 170. They shot this buck like a quarter mile from my house on, on public. Oh, and I'm like, wow, that's, that's a, that's a stud. You right. know, that's a solid deer. Right. And he shows me, uh, shows me a couple of their camera and, you know, pictures of it. And then I reach for my phone and I scroll through my phone and I show him a trail camera picture of that buck that oh, I had awesome. on my personal property back in the summer. So, um, no, there's, I mean, there's, there's big bucks, there's big bucks everywhere. And, uh, I, I would, if you have the, I mean, you don't live that far away, come yeah. up in the summer and walk a piece, you know, come check out a piece or whatever. And that's what they do. They, they told me, they said, Hey, we came up in July and we hung out for a couple of days and scouted out a few spots. And then they came back in the fall and they both put tags on, on deer. Yeah, man. That's, I mean, that was kind of what I did with Ohio this year. I'm definitely down with hunting some, some public ground. Um, you know, it's mm-hmm. like a, that's kind of was my approach in uh in Ohio this year. And and I think, you know, for me coming from where I hunt, you know, the, the you know, hunting Pennsylvania where the deer aren't huge, right? I think anywhere in Ohio just by comparison is going to be, you know, I'm going to be excited by what I see. Sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? So sure. I think from that respect it's it may be, you know, worth me looking into some of those zones where I might have an easier time drawing just so I can get out there there more often. But, you know, not to switch gears here, but I wanted to um you know, I, I introduced you as Johnny Utah, right? Because I kind of I came to know you <laughs> online as Johnny Utah. And going to be honest here and yeah. kind of maybe give give out a secret, a dirty little secret of mine. But Point Break <laughs> was probably one of my favorite movies growing up as a kid. Like, I was bound and determined <laughs> to move to Hawaii because uh, my aunt lived yeah. there at one point, And I was like, I'm going to surf the rest of my life, and I'm going to be Keanu Reeves. <laughs> and that's just all there was to it. Um but yeah. so, so I thought we would just take a minute here because people always have interesting nicknames and it's interesting how they get them, but it's also interesting how our friends get nicknames. So I wanted to see one, where did Johnny Utah yeah. come from? And, uh, are there any uh, nicknames growing up of your friends, uh, that are odd or kind of interesting? And then I'll share one or two of mine as well. I won't, I won't, I won't put you on the hook for all of it. Okay. Uh, so Johnny Utah came about, um, I, when I was a police officer, I also did a little bit of undercover narcotics work. And um, in the movie Point Break, you know, Keanu Reeves' character, his name is Johnny Utah, and he's undercover, um, you know, trying to catch, trying to catch uh, Brody and those guys, right? And, yeah, the ex-presidents, uh, man. <laughs> it's right. So basically, uh, that's kind of how it came about. And, you know, obviously my first name's John, and my dad's name is Johnny. And growing up, a lot of people either called me junior or they, or they would just call me Johnny. And, and, um, 
so anyways yeah one night somebody called me uh, johnny utah and and it kind of just stuck and um i mean i get mail uh addressed here to the house to to mr utah and <laughs> i get the i get the nigerian uh, scan emails where they're like oh old man utah died in like england and we'll send you his inheritance of two million dollars if you pay us ten thousand dollars for the attorney fees and right. it's just kind of crazy but yeah so it's um that's how that got started um back home a bunch of buddies i mean we had some taters and we had we had guys that were overweight that we called tiny right. <laughs> and uh and stuff like that um i had a cousin his name was boots that was kind of a funny name and i never really knew why anybody called him boots but boots we just called him that was just called him boots <laughs> nice so mine is my, my last name's Campbell. So, you know, mm-hmm. my, you know, so not super creative here, but my uncles were all nicknamed soup. Right. Okay. My dad was also soup. My uncle, his brothers were soup, but they were all just old enough, like apart from each other in age to where they didn't have like necessarily the same group of friends. So they could all have the same nickname. So I ended oh, up, okay. yeah. So I ended up, you know, when I was a kid as little soupy, like to my family, and then somehow the, my friends caught on to it, and then I forever became soup all through high school. And then I didn't know if you were going to tell me like you were tomato soup and Dad was chicken noodle, <laughs> right. or you know. <laughs> yeah, they called me tomato. Dad was chicken, and uh, you know, Uncle Uncle Bill was chunky beef. You know, um, uh, okay, yeah, <laughs> or cream of mushroom. I kind of like that one. That might be a good mm-hmm. one. Um, but I had go. a couple. I had a couple of friends with like my my cousin. We call. I don't know why we called him this. His name is Brandon, but we called him Buck. Uh, and I don't know why. Buck. Buck. Just Buck. Yeah. And then there was another huh. kid we called Pud. And he embraced that nickname, which is probably the worst nickname on the on the planet, actually. Um, and then there was one, his name was Crazy Dave, and he earned that he, he earned that honestly. Crazy so, Dave. yeah, there's not a whole lot to read yeah. that one. <laughs> crazy Dave. Crazy yeah. Dave. Everyone That's has that, cra- that one crazy friend where she, everyone kind of, either you call it to his face, crazy, crazy his name, or, uh-huh. it's, or it's the name everybody calls him when he's not around. But well, and he's the guy that you know. He's always the one at the party that says, "Hey, watch this." Yeah, hey man, hold my beer. Watch this one. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It actually, you know, truth be told, it's like in your former line of work, you may have run into this guy, and I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if that if that actually happened. I might have. I might have arrested Crazy Dave. <laughs> you might have yeah. arrested Crazy Dave. <laughs> um, so you mentioned earlier, you know, you have your degree is in horticulture, if I'm not mistaken, you know, and of course you mm-hmm. were in law enforcement, you know, so you've taken kind of an interesting path to get to, um, to get to working in the out, in the outdoor industry o- overall. Mm-hmm. So with your degree yep. right in horticulture and the way you, where you kind of, how you started out, like how, I know your neighbor was a cop and, and you kind of had conversations with him about, you know, the business or, you know, uh-huh. that, that line of work. But what was that thing that made you go like, hey, I think I'm going to do this? Because you weren't just like the normal, like, hey, I'm going to sit along, you know, and hit the traffic, uh, hit the traffic or the radar gun and pull some folks over for speeding. You were in you were into some like nitty gritty stuff. So how did that all kind of like what what kind of clicked and was like, yeah, I think this is a good, uh, be a good idea. I'd like to do this. Uh, so I like I said, I, I was working for a landscape company and um you know, didn't really like where the company was going. The The company was going to merge with another company and things were kind of getting moved around, shifted around. And, um, I think what kept me at that first landscape company was, uh, the owner of the company. 
And he was kind of at that time, it was kind of like an older brother, like a brother figure to me, kind of a mentor. And he taught me a lot about business and, um, profit margins and, and how to keep customers happy and how to manage employees and that kind of stuff. And so when I saw that the company dynamics were kind of changing and shifting around, uh, then of course I had that buddy that had those awesome stories, right. You know? Right. And so I thought, you know what, I think I want to go do this. And, and I'll be honest, when I first decided that I was going to go be a cop, I was 22 years old. And, and, and honestly, I was like, I'm going to go do this for a couple of years. I'm not going to make a career out of it, but how cool would it be to go to a police academy and, you know, you get to drive a car and you carry a gun, you got a badge and you take people to jail. I mean, this is like every dude's dream job in a way, you know, right. I'm like, you get to high speed for, you know, high speed chases and foot chases. And this is just to be, I, you know, I ate it up. And, and then after I'd been there, like, uh, I guess I'd been, I'd only been a cop for about a year and I pulled over a guy one night. He had 312 pounds of, of weed in his car. And it turned out he was an escapee from Leavenworth. And um, he was like talking about like a double, the double jackpot. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. He's a stand up um, fella. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was, he was a, an honorable citizen. <laughs> right. Um, but um, so right after that, there was a position that opened up in a narcotics unit. Uh, task force in, in the area in that northern Kentucky, greater Cincinnati area. And I put my name in the hat and I thought, I don't have a chance. And heck, you know, I've only been a cop for a year. There's no way they're going to put a rookie in this. And and they did. They ultimately did. And and so I did that for a little while. Um, you know, had the, had the different name and got to go undercover and do that kind of stuff, live that life for a while. And it was it was a ton, a ton, a ton of fun. And then I look back on it and I'm like, man, I'm at year 15, 15 and a half. And I'm still doing the same job, the job that I said I was only going to do for a couple of years. But during that whole time, I also had started um, a landscape company in Northern Kentucky. And I ran that kind of all my days off. And then I was selling saws at the time for Wicked. And then I was also filming some hunts for White Knuckle and, um, I, I try to stay busy, as you can tell. Right. Yeah. I mean, so you you had mentioned the uh, the kind of the, the crazy stories, and uh, um, I wouldn't mind if you if there was one here that was crazy or good or just kind of particularly funny that you uh, that you could share because I'm always down for an interesting uh, interesting bad guy story. <laughs> so I I kind of thought that this might come up. So I kind of put one. And I had done another podcast and, and the question came up and I gave him a funny one and I thought, all right, I got to think of it. You know, I got to think of another good one. So what I, what I, the story I have for you, especially picked out for your podcast is uh, we were in Newport, Kentucky and we were uh, getting ready to raid a house. We had been buying narcotics inside the house, a lot of heroin and stuff. And so we were all, uh, we had a couple of guys stacked up the full red gear, like you see on TV and we've got the Ram and, and we're knocking on the door with a search warrant. And of course, if they want to barricade and don't open up, then we've got that universal key that likes to take doors off the hinges and we come on in. Well, <laughs> while we're stacked up, we go inside and we had a couple of guys on the outside of the house. We always have those guys as catchers. So in case somebody makes it out the window or tries to, you know, dive off the roof, whatever, we've got chasers that can chase those guys. So we go inside, bust through, 
put handcuffs on a couple of people and then we start doing our meticulous, you know, search throughout the, throughout the house. So I'm going back to the truck to take the Ram back to, back to the truck and start grabbing evidence, collection tips and stuff. And I see one of my guys, he's outside of the house and he's got somebody in handcuffs laying on the ground. I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? He goes, you're not even going to believe this. I'm like, lay it on me. So he's perched up standing next to a tree kind of in the shadows with a full raid gear vest on that says police, narcotics, everything, <laughs> gun, badge, the whole nine yards. Okay. A guy comes bebopping down the street and he's like, Hey, Hey buddy. So our agents looking at him, he's like, what? Go away. You know, beat it, dude. You know, we're going to kick in a door. Right. I need to be paying attention. And this guy's like, Hey, there's a bunch of cops getting ready to raid that house. So I'm gonna, he's like, keep your voice down. He's like, you want to buy some crack? <laughs> so he buys crack off the guy 10, 20 feet from where we're doing a raid inside this house. And then ends up arresting the guy like on, on the site. So I'm just, you know, it takes all kinds of people. It was job security every day. <laughs> Man, that is like maybe quite possibly the worst drug dealer on the planet. Like, oh, the, hands down, hands the, down. The it, it was not going to have a successful career at <laughs> no. all. He needed to find a different line of work pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah. So, so during this time, I mean, it sounded like you had a lot going on. But did you were you able to manage to squeeze in a fair amount of hunting time, or did you spend most of your time hunting bad guys at that point? <laughs> um, you know, the whole time I was doing the narcotic stuff, um, I was just really getting starting to get into hunting a little bit and. When I first started hunting, like I said, I mentioned earlier, I was just a rifle hunter. Um, you know, more of my friends, that's what they did. And, and one of my buddies had approached me and said, Hey, um, he was another cop. He's like, let's, let's do some deer hunting. And I'm like, dude, I don't know anything about deer hunting at all. Where I grew up in Lexington, Jesmond County area, there wasn't a lot of deer at that time. I mean, my dad would talk about like, you know, he, we lived out in the country too. And, and I remember one day he comes home from work and he's like, Hey, he's like, I just saw a deer. I'm like, oh, a wow. deer you did. You saw one, <laughs> you know, it was like a cool thing. So, right. and a lot of our, a lot of our farm ground was all pasture ground. So there wasn't, there wasn't, you know, big timber. Um, so it was all horses, cattle, tobacco, stuff like that. Right. None of the things that deer like. And, uh, so we didn't have a lot of deer around by us. Um, but once I moved to Northern Kentucky, there's a lot more big timber down the river bottom. And there's a, there's a larger white tail population. And just as time went on, you know, they talk about back in the fifties, you didn't see a white tail deer. Uh, so, you know, as time went on, more and more deer had gotten into the area and whatnot. So he tells me, he says, let's, uh, let's, let's do some hunting. So my approach is, well, I guess I'll get online and I'll read a little bit about what is deer hunting. My dad wasn't a hunter. Right. So I go to Walmart, buy some camo. I bought a, I bought a Remington. Um, uh, let's see. Oh, that was a, that was a 270. I bought a 270. That was my first deer hunting rifle. And I think I had like a Bushnell or a Simmons scope or something like that on it. And, uh, and that's kind of how I got into it in the first couple of years. I was, you're kind of your weekend hunter, mm -hmm. you know, during the rifle season, I might get to hunt two weekends or something, mm -hmm. uh, there, you know, Kentucky's rifle season's right there at the rut, uh, which I guess is decent for the rifle hunters, you know? Right. Um, yeah, good for them, bad for us. 
Exactly. Exactly. But you know, I'd, I'd taken a few, uh, taken a few deer and, and every season, you know, I got a little more involved, a little more involved. And, um, and then I remember, I think it was like 2009, um, I shot a buck and I didn't have that like surge of, um, you know, the heart wasn't racing. I, I didn't have that like a big adrenaline dump and things like that, you know, after I shot it and I thought, I really like this sport. Um, so I'm going to have to switch to a weapon that's going to provide uh, a little more of a challenge, something a little more exciting. I want to get up close and personal. I, I want to continue to push myself, you know, and, and learn more about this. So, and I think you see that a lot with, and not taking anything away from shotgun or rifle hunters. Um, but I think on an average, if a guy's, if a guy is a bow hunter or he's really into archery hunting, he's also more involved with, um, proper management and things like that. Um, and I just think it's something that's kind of synonymous, you know, in the sport. But so I switched over to archery and started getting more involved in, you know, the food plot and studying deer and and management and, and picking out, you know, certain deer that I wanted to kind of target or I wanted to chase that season. And Mm -hmm. it just, it just, man, I'm telling you, best drug out there. Hands down. Yeah, man, I'd 100% agree with that. It's interesting because I grew up here, you know, here in Pennsylvania, we had a ton of deer um, growing up. I lived out in the middle of middle of nowhere. And my dad was a deer hunter and he hunted a little bit of bow. I went bow hunting with him once. He just kind of wanted to show me what it was about. And my dad shoots sure. a, a traditional bow. You know, he didn't start shooting a compound until this past year. I got him to start shooting a compound so we could start archery hunting together. Um, but it was predominantly. Your dad was stud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's a, he's a pretty good shot too, man. Like he, in, it, truth be told, my first year archery hunting, I actually took a traditional bow out with me and that was what I practiced with. And that was what I knew how to shoot before I knew how to shoot a compound. And yeah, it was interesting. Like I shot, you know, kind of same thing where it's like I, I hunted deer with a rifle and, you know, I took a couple when I was a kid and then I went away to school, you know, went to, went to college and I didn't get to really hunt much during that time because I didn't really have any break like over the hunting season or whatever. Um, and then, you know, fast uh-huh. forward that and I moved to Orlando and I was a musician for, you know, the better part of a decade. And, you know, so I wasn't home a whole lot and stuff like that. And so I didn't get to hunt much. I did take one trip to Alaska, you know, to one like a bear and a black tailed deer hunt with my dad. And then, yeah, and then I ended up moving back to Pennsylvania once I, you know, I kind of was done doing the music thing and my wife and I wanted to move back, back home to be closer to family. And I started deer hunting again with a rifle at first. And I started, you know, I always turkey hunted and rabbit hunted and stuff like that growing up small game. And so I got back into that when I got back up here and I went out on a turkey season. You mentioned you had, you know, there was always like a tater. Like I have a buddy tater. He's an older fella. Uh, He's a... Oh, uh, well, he's, he's pretty close to my dad's age. Like, you know, uh, he's, I guess, mid late fifties uh, tater is. And, uh, uh-huh. he always hunts with my father-in-law and we have a cabin and, you know, 200 and some odd acres down there. And it was fall, no spring Turkey. No, I'm sorry. Fall mm-hmm. Turkey, fall Turkey. And I'd always go down and Turkey hunt with those guys. And it was usually just a reason to go down and have some drinks. And I got, you know, I had one too many that, that evening before the first morning of, uh, of fall Turkey and uh our turkey season like a lot of places kind of <laughs> yeah i know right it happens to the best of us <laughs> and uh the uh the two seasons archery season of course and fall turkey kind of run run together and so and none of that group uh-huh. at that time was bow hunting except tater tater always bow hunted but because it was kind of earlier in october he would take that weekend and kind of come hunt turkey with us that you know that day and so i got up that next morning you know had way too much of your uh, of your home state spirit of of, of some bourbon 
and <laughs> managed to, you know, get my shotgun and get my orange on, you know, cause I had to wear some orange during that, that part of the season. And I get down in the woods and I, I didn't even put anything camel on. I literally had like a flannel shirt on a pair of jeans and like whatever shoes that were in the, in the bottom of the cabin to put on, <laughs> walked out into the woods. I was so horribly hung over. I found the, the softest piece of moss that I could find. And I laid down and fell asleep at like, you know, zero dark 30. It's barely daylight out at this point. I wake yeah. I wake up at like eleven thirty on the ground. I'm kind of like, where am I at? What is going on? And I look around uh, and I hear all this kind of like rustling going on. And I kind of sit up and I look down in this like uh, this hollow below me. And here are these three bucks chasing this doe around. Now at this point, I really didn't understand what was happening. But I just sat there and watched them for like I don't know twenty minutes. Run this doe around all over the place. That sure. ended, and I was just I felt horrible. So I was like, uh, my my day's over. I'm going back to the cabin and, and passing out. I get back there and yeah. I was talking to Tater later and I was like, you know, I was, you know, I passed out. I told him what happened and I was like, and I woke up and I was like, there were three bucks chasing this doe around. And he was like, you, my friend, were witnessing some pre-rut. And I was like, really? And he was like, that's natural deer movement. You know, and it never really dawned on me growing up because I never archery hunted. Um, the sure. only movement I was ever used to seeing was like typical, you know, gun season movement, which is deer running scared for the life, <laughs> essentially, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, put yourself in front mm-hmm. of the best cover and every deer in the area is going to run to that. So you'll see something at some point. Um, and that was really, that was really what kind of tickled my fancy for archery season. And then from there on, it was like the next year I went out and like to your, to what you said earlier, it's the best drug you could ever find, man. It's like, I've been hooked ever since. And now it's. I traded my music obsession essentially for a, an archery obsession. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, you know, and it, it's funny cause with my kids, you know, I, I talk about deer hunting all the time or, you know, around the house and, and the same as I remember exactly what I felt every, you know, the day they were born, I remember exactly where I was, what tree stand I was in when I heard my first buck grunt. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's just, I, I love the outdoors and, and I have so much respect for the animals and, and they're just super cool. Um, this past season, a buddy of mine, Ben Royce came down and, and he was actually running a camera for me. It was super awesome and to, to come down for a few days. And there was one buck that came in, uh, really, really nice deer. Awesome, awesome deer. And to me, I just kept on looking at him and I thought, you know, man, he's a great buck. He has a great, you know, he has a great rack. Um, but he, he's a three-year-old deer. And because he has such an impressive rack as a three-year-old, he's a deer that I want to let go. I want to, I want him to reach his full potential. Mm-hmm. I want to see what he can, he can become. Uh, and we, you know, ultimately decided to pass him and we got great footage of him. It was a cool encounter. And I think that's, that's what, you know, I, every day that I went out, I accomplished what I wanted to accomplish, you know, and I got to learn more of the terrain and I got to see deer movement. I got to study deer and I did draw back on him. Um, it's nothing else for practice, but ultimately decided it's not a deer that I wanted to take. So I let down. And when I was shed hunting this year, I actually picked up, uh, I found this deer's deadhead uh, that I called my DNR officer and got a salvage tag. But, you know, it was like, ah, man. And truth be told, his rack is way bigger than what I actually thought it was at that time. (laughs) I still wouldn't have shot him because to me, he was a three-year-old and I wasn't going to shoot him. But uh, he's sporting sporting a 20-inch inside spread. Um, (laughs) pretty, Pretty solid deer. Right. So, um, no, no clue what happened to him, but right. That's a bummer that, uh, I mean, you know, 
good that you found the rack, I think, you know what I mean? Cause you had some, a little bit of history with him, but it's a bummer that he's not going to sure. be there to chase around. But Hey, you know, that's, it's one of those things where it's, uh, um, you know, that's nature. She's a, she's, she's a, she's a cruel mistress sometimes, you know what I mean? And, oh uh, yeah. Oh, and, yeah. uh, it's just nice that, uh, you know, what I said when I got back from my Ohio trip, like what I had experienced out there as far as, you know, the, the rut and so forth was that, you know, I was just very much appreciative that I, I had a great stand set up where I was just, I was, you know, bulletproof in that set. There was nothing wind in me. There was nothing seeing me. I had great breakup. I had deer right underneath my stand. Um, and I could have not gotten anything on that trip and I would have came back a happy man because, it was just I got to they they allowed me to kind of step foot into their world for a couple of days and experience what right. what they do on a natural in, in on a regular basis, um, and so just from that perspective I was grateful and you know I could have came out of that hunt with you know and ate a tag and would have been just as happy. Um, but to uh, to change gears here you know really quickly I know we were kind of talking about you know all the things that you're involved in and you're we're similar in this way where it's like, you know, a rolling stone gathers no moss. So it's, I'm always into something. Yeah. And that was the one thing when we, when we met, when we were in Harrisburg that I kind of, you know, noticed right away. I was like, this is a guy that just, you know, is, has his hands in a lot of things and likes to be busy and just likes to, likes to make things and be productive. Um, you know, so the one thing I wanted to kind of talk about a little bit, you know, it was, is, uh, is the wicked tree gear, um, uh, company and, and, and the product. Cause you know, truth, sure. be, truth be told, I, uh, I've used other handsaws in the past and I've literally broken every one of them. Um, so I have finally picked up a, a wicked, uh, wicked tree gear, uh, handsaw and I'm looking forward to trimming some, uh, trimming some lanes with it this year. But I wanted to get, you know, especially with your background, uh, in, in, in the, uh, in horticulture and working for wicked tree and your background in, in the whitetail woods and stuff. I wanted to get your thoughts on just some best practices or tips for whenever people are clearing lanes. Cause you know, this is a time of year where I, I would imagine folks are kind of going out and checking out, you know, some, some of the, their stand setups without foliage on the trees to kind of get a good view as to what they're trimming away. So if you could just kind of give us your hit list of what are some of the best practices for trimming lanes. Yeah. So, um, when I, when I get to go out and do a little bit of shed hunting, um, it's hard for me because half the time I'm looking down at the ground, but half the time I'm looking up, right. you know, and, uh, I'll step over a shed. My buddy's like, oh, I found one. Where? In between your legs. <laughs> I have a hard and time believing I'm that. It's considering I saw that picture of you <laughs> when you went out for an hour and stumbled across seven. So, <laughs> yeah. I've been I've been scooping them up pretty good this year. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. It's yeah. been my best year. Um, but I, I've, I've missed a few because I, you know, I'll be staring up into the distance and, and I'm looking I'm like, wow, look at that ridge and that, that leads right down here. And there's a big, big steep ravine. So I know they're not going to cross that. They're going to have to loop around there. I'm like, okay, where is the best advantage point to come in? So, you know, I'm always looking at that kind of stuff, but I think when I'm picking uh, trees that I want to hunt out of and shooting lanes, if, if you have easy access and it's a stand that you can go to often without potentially smoking it out, those are the stands that I'll try to hang in the summer and I'll get in there and I'll, I'll, I'll trim them out and, and, you know, and make big, huge shooting lanes and things like that to where maybe I can have a longer lane to keep myself from having to go all the way into that core spot mm-hmm. and hunt the edges a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then, um, for stands that I want to run and gun in, those are the stands that for me, I want to save those 
and I might trim a couple of things, but I'm not going to put a stand up yet. I might hang, you know, I might trim some of those things that are a little further away from my stand. Um, but the stuff that's right in that tree, I'll do that the day of, you know, while I'm hanging that set. But those are your stands that you know that you can't smoke them out. You know, if you go in there too much, you're going to burn them out. So I'll kind of save those spots for the, for, like I said, for those running guns. And usually those running guns are pre-rut, rut, post-rut, when you can kind of get away with a little bit more. You know, the deer are a little more forgiving uh, where you can kind of roll the dice and take that chance because they are moving around so much. And, and they might not pay attention to you if they're, you know, paying a closer attention to uh, – a cute little doe that just ran by them or something like that. But I love, uh, I love cutting more pockets than anything. And as much, if, if I can, and we all know that there's those tree stand setups where you can't always do this, but I try to imagine like a five point star. I want to give myself at least five options to shoot from or five holes or potentially five lanes. Now hmm. a lane for me is not, I-75 interstate going <laughs> right. from Florida to Michigan, you know, that's right, not right. what I'm trying to do. Uh, thread the needle. Um, and like I said, and that's why a lot of times I'll just call them pockets, right? Give myself a little pocket to shoot, to shoot into. Um, but I think picking, I don't so much pick the tree as I pick the location. And I think that's another thing a lot of guys will do is they'll say, Oh, look at this tree. It's super straight. It's a beefy tree, and uh, it would be easy to get a tree stand in there. Right, and that's I, I don't look at I don't look at it that way. I look at where do I need to be to give myself that advantage over that deer. And a lot of times, more more often than not, the tree stands that I end up choosing, and the reasons why I choose them, it ends up being a, a type of deal where. Uh, think about uh, if you took a whole pie, just comes out of the oven, and you slice one little piece. Now, remember I was telling you I had my buddy that we called Tiny. Right. He was a really big fella. Right. I'm not talking about Tiny's slice of pie. I mean, like a legitimate near you slice of pie. <laughs> right. So a lot of times it's kind of like slicing the pie. I get myself right at that at that verge of where that buck still feels like he's in control and he's, he's able to smell everything. Um, and, but I'm just right. I, I'm teetering on that edge to where he might be able to bust me. Hmm. Um, I'll, I put myself in those situations. It seems like a lot. And like I said, I want him to be as relaxed as he pos- as he possibly can. You know, and obviously, like a lot of us do, you know, I'll have a stand for a northwest wind. I'll have a stand for an east wind. I'll have a stand for a south wind. Right. Um, and I try to give myself options because I don't want to have a south wind and then have a free day to go hunt and then go, oh, crap, I don't have any place to go. Right. Um, so I try to give myself all the different wind choices. And like I said, I, I, look, at, I look at natural funnels, uh, pinch points and ridges and things like that. Ridges I like more in the rut. Um, and you know, again, same thing with shed hunting. It's a great opportunity because you're getting to see the woods, but the woods is going to, you know, basically what it's going to look like, you know, come fall when the leaves start falling. So, and that changes things. When I moved to Iowa this past year, it was, it was May one and everything was leafed out at that point. And, and it, I didn't get to see 
you know, you can, topo maps are great and they're a great tool and I, and I use them and I study them uh, religiously, but there's something to be said for putting, you know, boots on the ground as yeah. well and seeing, seeing that stuff. Yeah. I, I a hundred percent agree with that. It's like, if for me, it's always good to kind of look at that, that aerial and like the topography features, but it's like, I'm a, just the way I learn, like I'm a doer, see or feeler, you know what I mean? Experienced person where it's sure. like, until mm-hmm. I get there, see it, touch it and kind of, and, and look at it and kind of, um, you know, experience it, I guess it's, it doesn't completely sink in for me. So I'm definitely a, a boots on the ground kind of guy. Now, do you know if, if you can, if you can kind of control the situation or con- control the day that you're going to kind of go out and hang stands or do some trimming, do you prefer, do you prefer to kind of do it on, on days where you're going to get a little bit of rain? You know, are you really kind of concerned with, with scent and scent? I mean, I know that your running gun sets, you're really kind of being really mindful as to when you're going to go in and trim anything out. Sure. You're really going to kind of do that the day of, but you know, the places where you're hanging things in advance, are you kind of, you know, being cautious and like removing any of the debris that you cut out, or are you just mainly going to do it early enough to where you can kind of let it set and the deer will kind of get used to whatever happened there? Yeah. If I'm, uh, especially some of the earlier sets, if I start hanging some stuff in like July, um, I don't pay too much attention. I mean, I'm not in there trying to run chainsaws or anything, right. but at the same token, I'm, I'm not too concerned about, uh, what I'm disturbing. Um, I'm not looking to spend three or four hours in a particular area if I don't have to. Um, so I do want to get in and get out, but I don't pay too much um, to mine if, it, if it's that early in the year. If I know that I have rain coming, that's just an, that's a that's a plus for me. But it's not a deal breaker necessarily. You know, I still have a full daytime job, so um, unfortunately, I don't get to completely dictate you know what day hey i'm gonna go hang tree stands every day this week for the next month um <laughs> right. i kind of have to work around my work schedule like a lot of us do you know when you figure out that plan you let me know what that plan is i'll come i'll come hang tree stands with I, you i'm waiting for ed mcmahon to show up with <laughs> balloons and stuff like that and tell me i just want that publisher's clearinghouse but I know. Um, I know, right? I always see that yeah. post on Facebook where someone's like, you know, the Powerball is $1.5 billion or whatever. What state are you buying hunting land in first? And, I, and the sad thing is, is I will legitimately spend an hour of my day thinking about that and make a list. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, so, you know, and then as the season gets closer, um, you know, that's that's when I'm really mindful of when um, – extremely windy days i really like those if it's getting really close to the season and i might be bumping some of those patternable deer um i'll try to go on days where it's a little windier and at least that's making a little bit of noise especially if i know the wind's blowing in the direction that i want it to be blowing into right for sure so i've checked out uh you know, a couple of your videos. I know that you are, are doing some things. You have the, the a new, or I don't know if, I won't say necessarily new, but a newer endeavor with the uh, mm-hmm. Arrow Wild Company. You know, can you talk a little bit about uh-huh. what that venture is, you know, how it came about and, you know, uh, what that's all about? Um, basically, you know, once I broke away from White Knuckle, um, several of the guys that were on White Knuckle had approached me and they said, hey, you know, what are your plans? And I said, I think I'm just going to stick to photography and short films. And at this point I had produced a couple uh, two short films. Um, so far, uh, one was, uh, a short film about my father. It was called work more hours. And then the other one is one that's called 12 months and nobody has seen that yet. It potentially may show up on a hunting film tour. I sent it into them for submission and, 
and I'm fingers crossed that it gets picked up. Nice, man. I hope uh, so. If it doesn't, oh man, thank you. And and if it doesn't, then I'll I'll ultimately post it up on Arrow Wild, and I'll probably put it on my personal pages. But um, it's basically a story about me leaving law enforcement and leaving Kentucky and saying, okay, for the next 12 months, I'm going to kind of reinvent myself. And, um, you know, whatever I become on the outside, uh, at the end of that 12 months, then that's, that's me. Right. So, um, not quite like a 12 step program or anything like that, but right. it's just, I figured it would take me 12 months to kind of, um, Settle in, you know, settle into the new area and settle into the new career and, and the new state and that kind of thing. But, um, and kind of push myself to do things I haven't done. Um, but Arrow Wild Company basically evolved from a lot of, a lot of buddies, you know, they approached me and they said, look, you know, if you ever want to do another web show, uh, we want to keep filming and we want to keep sharing our stories. So I'd be, I'd be down, you know, if you want to do it. So that's, um, that's kind of kind of how it started. And I, I went back to those guys and I said, you know, I really did enjoy the web show stuff. And if you guys want to do it, then let's, uh, let's rock and roll. If you guys are committed to it and then we'll, uh, you know, we'll make it happen. So uh, we started basically partnering up with companies of, you know, products of things that we were already using to begin with, uh, or companies that we had been using their products, just had never done anything official with them. Right. So air wild, came out as a web show uh we do a lot of with with social media the way it is a lot of these manufacturers uh are being forced basically to provide put a lot more content out there you know the days of doing one post a week as a manufacturer you can't get by with that anymore you know a post a day two posts a day and things so we we structured air wild to work with different manufacturers um to provide photography for their social media outlets uh we are doing our web shows uh we do have some packages that we've done that we're going to be doing some kind of tips and tricks and it's not like this is how you have to use this product it's hey here's a way that we use it try it it might work for you you know everybody's got their own system so we're not telling you this is the way this is a way right um and then we're doing some interactive posts so we'll have a piece where it's kind of the interactive um you know, share, share a story of how, you know, your prime, your prime bow, you know, you, you were successful, you know, on your hunt with your prime bow or show, tell, tell us an experience to where you went undetected in the woods, you know, with your sick of gear. And then we'll also, we'll feature those, you know, on our page and kind of give, give other people some credit because I'm not a professional hunter and the guys on my team were not professional hunters we're guys that like to film and share our stories. And so, uh, it gives, it gives everybody a chance to kind of contribute to it a little bit and kind of back up, basically back up what we're saying. Hey, this is a great product and manufacturers. It, it, it's good for them. And it's, it's good for the hunting industry and who doesn't like to kind of get their name in the paper a little bit, you know, and get to share in their harvest, you know, a successful hunt that they had. Right. Yeah. I mean, I like, I like the approach just from the sense of, you know, I always kind of gravitate toward to the more organic type of content, you know, if that's the right way to, mm-hmm. if that's the right way to say it, you know, lower production. Sure. I mean, I was even that way in the music industry where I always kind of gravitated toward the, the records that were just raw and it sounded like you were sitting in a room listening to them play. It's kind of the same way for me, honey, mm-hmm. where it's like, I kind of prefer to see, 
those hunts where it's like I'm getting that raw experience, the raw emotion, the showing me all the warts. Because you know, a, a lot of times it's like I'm as interested in the warts of the hunt or the things that went wrong as I am as the th- of the things that went right in many ways. Yeah, um, yeah. It just kind of makes for a well-rounded story, and, a, and I think more importantly, or more important than anything, is that it's an honest story, right? And I think that that's somewhat what right. um, the big production kind of hunting shows kind of start to get a get away from a little bit. You know what I mean? It's like I just want to see. It's like every time you go out, you see a 180 inch deer and you killed it at the end of the show. You know what I mean? It's like yeah, that's not yeah, that's not every man's land. You know what I mean? Every man's land is that no. I sat for 21 days in a tree stand and I saw one shooter and a bunch of does and I got my spot blown up 10 times. You know what I mean? Like that's, <laughs> that's more the norm. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. Um, so it's refreshing to kind of see, see that type of stuff. And I'm definitely going to, you know, be on the lookout for what you're putting out. Cause I, I, after we met and you kind of mentioned it to me, I, I got a chance to check it out and I, I liked what you guys were doing. I've been kind of following and waiting for some new videos to come out, of course, for this, uh, for this next upcoming hunting season. But so Kind of speaking yep. of this next upcoming hunting season, um, you know, do you have any uh-huh. plans for uh, any adventure hunts this year, or what are your your hunting plans for this year? Uh, this year for spring turkey, um, I'll be hunting here in Iowa and just start the season, and then I'm going to break away and I want to head back to my old Kentucky home and uh, hunt hunt some gobblers down there with uh, with my buddy Mike Riddle, and nice. it's a, it's always it's a special hunt because. We, we only get to hunt together, you know, once once a year now, whereas we used to sit in the ground blind or in a tree stand together for three and a half months, you know. Right. Um, our wives, they're like, ah, what do you like? You know, you just like, is that your new boyfriend or girlfriend or, you know, but um, <laughs> so it's super cool to go back to Kentucky and hunt with him and uh, my buddy Johnny Parker, uh, one of the nicest guys in the world. He lets me hunt birds out there. And um, for deer, I'll start off my season in Missouri. I'm not far from Missouri at all, nice. uh, 20 minutes and I'm, and I'm at the hunting spot in Missouri and then I'll come back and focus. Um, uh, well, before I come back to Iowa, I'm actually going to head to Montana. I'll be in Montana and, um, going to be doing antelope spot and stock with archery there. Nice. And then when I come back to Iowa, it'll be October one. And this is, that's where I'll stay. I'll nice. grind out the whole season here. Nice man, that's awesome. Yeah, the uh, when when, the, uh, when are you going to be in Montana? What part of the uh, year? Um, it's probably I'm on the calendar. I'm kind of trying to pinpoint around like September fifteenth, eighteenth, something like that. Try to head out that way nice. um, and and do four or five days out there. Nice. Yeah, I'll be there September 9th through the 22nd, I think, is the, my trip. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I should be out there while while you're there. What uh, what part of the state? We are going right. to be um, – it is going to be near Dillon is where we'll be at. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Um, so we, got, we got a buddy I'm going to be there. down around – Oh, you okay? Yeah, you've got, got you've got a spot. Yeah, out. we got a. I have a buddy and my cousin have been going out to the same spot for. I want to say like five years. Uh, they've taken some decent bulls out there, and uh, actually, one of awesome. our friends from back home lives in Montana and works for the forestry agency. Um, and so, you know, part of his job is he does. Uh, well, last time I ran into him back home, one of the things he had recently kind of wrapped up was that he was finishing a report on a. An elk, or an elk calving habitat uh, enhancement that he got a uh, grant for, um, and then he, you know, oh, however many super. years ago, yeah. So he doesn't know where any of the elk are at, of course. Um, 
So he's got uh, a pretty, <laughs> he's got a pretty sweet, you know, a couple pretty sweet uh, little honey holes on public ground that you know are kind of off the beaten path, difficult to get to. Yeah, uh, which is why you know, oh, we've been, we've, yeah, we've been texting back and forth or talking back and forth about some of the training I've been doing. These dudes are. Uh, um, they're workout dudes. So they, I mean, I, I work out and train to stay in shape and just be healthy. You know, these guys are like mm-hmm. you know, next level. <laughs> and, uh, so yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like, uh, training that way. I don't have to like hold onto the Holy shit bar the whole time we're hunting together as they're running <laughs> up and down the mountains. Yeah. Um, they're not, they're not going, come on, Clint, hurry up. Yeah, you know? exactly. I'm like, I don't want to be that guy. Well, the other thing is too, man, it's like, I'm not getting any younger and these guys are all, you know, probably like seven, eight years, my junior for the most part, except my cousin, oh, yeah. he, he's, yeah. just, he's three years younger than me. So I'm like, these dudes are in shape, like more in shape yeah. than I am, you know? And, uh, and or like ten, like almost ten years younger than me. I was like, I got to try to keep up so they're not bagging on the old man the whole whole time we're out there because that's just going to hurt the ego if that happens. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. yeah, I man, I think it's it's funny, you know, because it's um, I turned thirty nine uh, a week ago or two weeks ago or something like that, and um, yeah, you don't recover as fast as you did before. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it, it takes a little bit of work. I used to be able to eat a cake and not gain a pound. Now I can be in the same room <laughs> as a cake and I gain four pounds. So, <laughs> no, um, it's, it, it, it is different, but yeah, I, um, that, that's, I'll be doing that tonight. Um, nice. yeah. I'll be heading off to the gym and I try to at least get it four four nights a week. That's, that's, that's my good, goal. Man. Uh, that's good. Got to do it, you know? Yeah, you got to, man. It's uh, Mine is, I'm an early guy. It's like, I got to get mine in the morning first thing when I wake up. And that's, you know, I'm kind of neurotic about, I'm neurotic about a lot of things. Uh-huh. Like that's, you know, hunting is one of those things where I'm neurotic about working out. Is mm-hmm. one of those other things where it's, you know, it's, I have to try to get in six days a week. Otherwise, it's like, I just, I'm angry at myself if I don't get like six days in. But, um, you know, we'll, sure. we'll see, we'll see how it all, how I fare here in September. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a full detailed report, of course, but Speaking of uh, wanting to get you off to the gym here, man, I want to make sure you get get your uh, get your workout in. We'll we'll kind of wrap things up here, but I wanted to ask you just a couple questions here because I know I'm always interested in what type of gear people are using. Um, you know what types of things uh-huh. they're comfortable with and stuff like that. So I just kind of want to get a sense of, you know, one, you know, what bow are you shooting? You know, what are the, some of the accessories you're using? On what type of sight are you using? Release and those types of things. Uh, so I'm shooting the uh, the Prime Archery, uh, the new Synergy, and. Um, I'm using a spot hog. Um, I use the hogget sight, uh, five pin. Um, I might put the fast eddy, uh, back on the, on the bow when I go out for, um, for antelope just to have that, um, have that distance option with the single pin and dial it down. Right. Uh, my, you know, I set my, my sights, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. Right. And, uh, last year, if it's any indication, then I'm going to want to make sure I can reach out and touch 80 and 70 and stuff like that. So, um, release, let's see. Well, I use a stokerized, uh, the SS one stabilizer. I really like that. Having it kind of tuck in beside the bow. Mm -hmm. And I've, um, I like it a little more compact and uh, it works. It works real well for me. Um, I use a true fire, uh, chicken wing is what I, what I've been using here lately. I'm a, I'm a risk guy. Um, I tried the back tension and after busting my mouth open like five times, I just said, you know what? It's not for me. <laughs> it's too much to be thinking about. The back I'm just kind of the, those, the like, teeth were loose, huh? Yeah. Yeah. You know, for <laughs> me, it's like when I go to draw, 
my eyes are on that deer and I'm studying that deer's body language at all times. And the last thing I'm thinking about is where, you know, can I pull off the back tension and, and whatnot. So I just like the wrist, you know, the wrist release and, um, but it's the single, you know, the single thing, you know, style caliper. And, uh, I like that. It seems to be a little, you know, a little more consistent for me and it, it helps me hit my anchor a little bit better and, and stuff, but, um, shooting black Eagle arrows, and with uh, with G5 broadheads, uh, as of right now, I've got the two blade Havocs, but I'll probably switch over to that dead meat once those are available. Mm-hmm. And rocking Sika gear, uh, love 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 Sika gear. Uh, it's just the textile, the fit, the pattern, the Gore-Tex, the warranty, and you know, and it's funny too. Like when I was a kid, the the coolest car was a Lamborghini. I don't know anything about Lamborghini as a company. It was just a Countach. It was the coolest car in the world, right? Right. Um, And and once you kind of, you get a little bit older and you start to identify like what these companies stand for and what they represent and the lifestyle, the brand lifestyle that they create. And I just have so much respect for the, you know, the guys and girls over at Six Gear. Um, It's just really cool to be a part of that deal with them. Um, Let's see, covert uh, trail cameras. Love Mrs. Dopey right here in southeast Iowa. Uh, Sam makes like the absolute purest, awesome, the best. Well, he doesn't make it. I mean, he's just capturing it. There's what it is. Yeah, no, no. I mean, he's not making it. It's just it's the purest, you know, thing out there. Um, Luminox, love the Luminox, you know, the lighted Knox, and I'm always rocking lone wolf tree stands. Nice. Um, you know, those are some of the companies that, you know, I do some work with and I know there's people that I'm leaving out that I should probably, <laughs> should probably mention, uh, Big and J. Um, I love, I love their BB squared. Uh, it's just an excellent, excellent feed. Uh, I don't hunt over bait and it's not allowed in Iowa anyways, but, um, because of the whole conservation and the hunting thing, like I love being able to, to feed those deer a little extra, help them out a little bit in the winter and, and it boosts a healthier herd and things like that. So, um, you know, why not, you know, help, you know, give them, give them a little hand, especially with, uh, you know, lactating does and stuff like that. I mean, that's what you want is your, your healthiest herd you can possibly have. Right. Man, that's awesome. Yeah. The, uh, what you mentioned about Sitka there for a second, just in terms of, you know, how, mm-hmm. you know, there's so many of these companies you grow up that you don't really know anything about. And, you know, I think it's really important for, the hunting community specifically to know who you're supporting, you know, in the long run, uh, making sure that they kind of have, you know, you know, for lack of a better way to put it, kind of putting their money where their mouth is, you know what I mean? Sitka is one of those companies that support all the things that, you know, Hunter and, um, you know, people that support public land and public places and stuff like that. They're doing all the right things. They say, they say the right things and they back it up with their, with their actions and the gear is second to none. And they're just, you know, from my experience that I've had, which has been brief with them has been top notch. So I can, I'll echo those sediment sentiments. Um, man, I think sure. that's, I think that's it, man. I want to get you off to the, to the gym. I want to make sure whenever you get out to, out, out to cool. the Western part of the, uh, the country, man, you can, you can, uh, can hoof those mountains. I don't want to be the, uh, I don't want to be the downfall <laughs> of your preparation, man. So I think with that, with that being yeah. said, you know, why don't you, uh, just kind of give the folks out there listening some places where they can kind of check out more about Johnny Utah slash Mulligan and, uh, the things he's got going on in his world. Sure. Um, Instagram, Johnny Utah Mulligan, uh, is my Instagram account. And I try to stay pretty active and share, share some adventure photos and, 
and stuff like that uh, on there and definitely want to build up my Instagram following as much as possible. And then on Facebook, uh, Arrow Wild Co. Uh, for standing for Arrow Wild Company, that is our uh, our Facebook page. We also have an Instagram page there that I actually just, just started up on that. And we're working on the website, and we'll be launching some apparel shirts and hats and stickers and stuff like that uh, with the Arrow Wild branding on it. And, um, yeah, please, please check us out. Um, give us give us a like, give us a share, give us a follow. Tell people about us if you can. Uh, it, it, it's huge. It, it helps us out, and it allows us to continue sharing stories and if anybody ever wants to reach out, please do. Uh, I'm very, very responsive on messages. If there's something you want to see or uh, something that you want uh, shown more in depth, um, I have a problem telling people no. You would think as a cop it'd be easy for me to do, but in the cop world it was easy to say no. But like when it comes to something that you you're truly passionate about, I just, I love it to death and I love all aspects of it. And even if somebody has a question, I can still learn something from their question, you know? Right. Um, so yeah. Awesome, man. Well, Hey, I see you, man. yeah, man, I appreciate you coming on and, uh, some great stories and, uh, I'm sure we'll be running into each other again here soon at some point and, uh, definitely have you back on to I'm share sure. some more, some more stories after this hunting season. Cool, man. Thank you very much for having me, brother. All right, brother. You take care. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. Just want to thank John for joining us. Be sure to check out Wicked Tree Gear at wickedtreegear.com and make sure to give John a follow at Arrow Wild Company on Facebook and Instagram. I'll be sure to place the links to both of those social media properties in the blog post show notes. And since I've kept everyone waiting long enough, I'll announce the winner of the Exodus Trail Camera giveaway now. Uh, The winner of today's giveaway is Kenny Richmond. So, Congratulations to Kenny. I'll be in touch uh, via social media to get your mailing address and get this camera out to you as soon as possible. Also, as a reminder, Exodus will have a new Mark II lift camera that will be coming out soon. So be on the lookout for that. And if you're picking up a new camera, be sure to use the promo code TRUTH for a 10% discount on Exodus trail camera purchases. The uh, folks at Exodus are kind enough to hook up the Truth from the Stand listeners and followers with a, a bit of a discount on their site. And but before I get out of here, I just want to be sure to thank all of you for tuning in. Uh, make sure to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, Stitcher, and you can also listen to us, of course, on Google Play. And it would be awesome if you would all go uh, over to iTunes and leave us a five-star iTunes rating. We'd really appreciate it. And finally, I need to give a big shout-out to our partners at Whitetail Institute of North America. America, Exodus Outdoor Gear, and Lone Wolf Portable Tree Stands for helping us make this podcast happen. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do hard shit hat for those of us who like to embrace microdosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear. You'd think, with four of us spread out on a tiny island, that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But, as I've learned, no matter where I've been, 
White tails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.